Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Charles Mirho, the Chief Legal Officer and Co-Founder of TurboPatent, the developer of an automated patent creation and analytics system used to produce patent documents and monitor patent quality throughout the prosecution process. Hi, Charles. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm privileged to be speaking to you. So as the company's co-founder with James Billmeyer, tell us about your background and the genesis of TurboPatent. I went through my higher education in New Jersey at Rutgers University, came out with a master's in computer engineering. Uh, did that for a while as an engineer in the tech industry, IBM, AT&T, then on to Intel. I actually was in the writing business, not full-time, but as sort of a side hustle for many years. I wrote many articles on technical subjects, a couple books. And then I went to Intel, and they recruited me uh, out of a law, a law library. I just happened to be there and run into the head patent council. They sent me to a law school at Santa Clara University. They made me a patent attorney, and all that happened back in the 90s. I uh, worked as a patent attorney at Intel for a bit, a bit at a law firm, and then I went out and started my own practice, and that's been going on for 16 years. decided about five or six years ago, um, after working with Jim on several projects, he was a CEO at the time at a big startup that had been founded by Paul Allen. They did the Moxie set-top box, which has since caught fire a bit, after it was acquired by Aris Corp. Through those projects with Jim, we both came to believe that the patent system was extremely inefficient. It was really rigged for the higher paying clients, your big tech companies, people who could afford to play the game and hire the big law firms were getting all the benefit of the system. And due to inefficiencies, high cost, unpredictability of outcomes, your smaller players, your startups, uh, even your mid-sized companies weren't really seeing the benefit of the patent system. So we decided to try to change that and went out, got venture funding, did some design work, and started TurboPatent, which has now been going on for almost five years. What are the specific challenges associated with the current practice of how lawyers review patents that TurboPatent solves? The system right now is really a bespoke model like a lot of law, where the attorneys begin by interviewing inventors to extract the invention, and they ask some questions that are centered around understanding the invention and how it's different from anything that was invented before. There are some other legal questions I won't go into. They then uh, go off and make some formal drawings. Often a draftsman is involved in that, someone who knows specifically how to do patent drawings. There's a bunch of other work involved for paralegals to make paperwork. The lawyer has to draft claims and a specification, which is a combination of technical description and legal language that describes the drawings. And it also sets forth the boundaries of what you will own when the patent is granted. That all takes a lot of time. It's a very one-off in many ways, meaning every patent, you know, there's no consistent quality often between documents. And then they file it. Now, all that costs about ten grand. It can go even higher in Silicon Valley. A lot of people can't afford that. And you really don't know what you're going to get at the end of it. 
So it goes off to the patent office, gets assigned to an examination unit, eventually to an examiner who is supposedly good at his job and knows the technology. He reads it, he does a search, and then you get that thing called an office action. You maybe get more than one of these, but it's basically the examiner writing back to the attorney and saying, look, I got a bunch of issues with your wanting a patent grant. You're asking for something that's very powerful in commerce. You're asking for an exclusive right to make money on this invention for two decades. We're not just going to hand that to you. We're going to push back and make you, you know, really earn it and prove that you deserve a patent. That's the office action. And those things are really complicated, too, because there's, they cite a bunch of prior patents and other documents that have been published before by other people. And they make you try to explain why you're different. They, they present arguments for why you're not different. So they, you know, they take the devil's advocate approach. We don't think you deserve the patent. Prove me wrong kind of thing. They also point out all these little problems in your document with inconsistencies, with stuff that's not clear and other things, which can really slow down the process and make it expensive because the attorney now has to spend, you know, a lot of hours reading all those prior art documents, reading the office action and drafting this big long response. And everything he says goes on the record. So the patent isn't just what you filed first, you know, initially as a set of drawings and a spec. It's everything you say after that and every, every amendment you make to the spec or claims in those office action responses, it becomes part of the patent. So what you end up with the, at the end of the day is this patent, if you're lucky. I mean, you know, a lot of patents get granted, but many do not. They get abandoned because it becomes too expensive or difficult to get them. You know, it's a big amalgamation of what you filed originally and how you responded. And if you don't do each of those steps with real good quality, you know, taking into consideration all the legalities and technical subtleties, you end up with a document that doesn't pass muster as soon as you try to enforce it. So you go out and try to enforce the patent because somebody, say, from China comes in and sees that you're making a lot of money and they just copy you. And you try to enforce it and the court strikes it down because of some technicality. So what TurboPatent is really designed to do is say, hey, look, these assets are really valuable. You know, people are putting a lot of money into them. A lot of times your company can be riding on the patent protection you get. Your investment can depend on it. But we're doing them in this old-fashioned way where, you know, they get assigned to a junior associate. They often bounce around between firms during prosecution. They pop out, and you don't really know what you're getting. So when we designed computer chips, when I was in Intel, even in the 90s, they had gotten so complicated that, you didn't just sketch them out on a napkin or a big roll of, of printer paper anymore. They used to do that in the 80s, but they got too complicated, and we went to design software. That's really the case with everything now, architecture, uh, chips, complicated mechanical stuff. It's all done on computers before you send it off to the expensive prototyping or having a, a factory make all the molds to make it. You, you do everything on a computer. You test it. You run analytics on it. Well, we decided to take that same engineering discipline and apply it to PET. So from schematics to documents that are required for prosecution purposes, a lawyer can simply leverage TurboPatent for the entire process. Is that correct? Right. And leverage is a good word. So it's not, it's not replacing him. Just like you need a good driver on your CAD software, a good human driver at the high level, you need the same thing with our tools. But what it really does is it frees them up to think more strategically, to think at a higher level of design, and it takes care of a lot of the details of keeping everything consistent. It presents him with what I call decision point analytics, which I think is kind of unique to us. 
That means that you get, so there's a lot of companies out there selling analytics, meaning they'll analyze the patent office and give you, you know, guidance on what to do. But we do it in a way that makes it a lot more useful because it's exactly when you need it. So when you're about to file your patent document, you run a robo review, for example, and it will give you the comments. Our robots will put the comments directly in the document, which is just exactly where you need them, when you need them. And you can literally go in and accept or reject the suggestions our robots make. The same thing is true with our smart shell, which is the analytics tool and the accelerator for responding to office action. Not only does it do a lot of work that you would have to do, like, or a paralegal would have to do instantly, doesn't take hours, but it also then advises you about how to, how to deal with this examiner. So it's going to look at his practice. And it's going to suggest, hey, this guy, you know, you really should call him and interview him on the phone. That that really works with this guy. Or you're on your second office action already. And according to this analysis, that's where the bulk of his allowances happen. So you really want to nail this response. You really want to be careful and do it right and maybe call him. It gives you those kind of immediate uh, decision point analytics right when you need them. And you don't have to vector off and log into some other system, run a report, and then try to correlate it with what you're doing. It's all presented right integrated with what with your workflow. You mentioned replacing the lawyer. How are legal teams applying artificial intelligence like this in patent protection and what do you think the hurdles are for widespread adoption? I think trust. I don't think lawyers really trust machines to make decisions, you know, at an AI level. In other words, they don't trust a machine to replace their intuition or their deep learning about how to counsel a client. That, I think, is going to be the biggest point of resistance. We don't suggest that they rely on our AI completely. So, for example, when we run a, a robo-review on a new application, the system is going to go out and scan the patent office database and make predictions about what's going to happen. So it's got some advantages that just no human has. It doesn't matter how long they've been doing this. Every patent lawyer will tell you, you know, I have this sense, I have this intuition about whether these claims are going to get, a, say, a, a, an eligibility rejection, meaning the patent office looks at the claims and says, you can't patent that at all. We're not even going to examine it. It's not the kind of thing we give patents on, never mind whether it's inventive or not. That's called a 101 rejection, where the examiner is going to look at the prior art and he's going to say, this is too close to what other people have done. Yeah, you made something new, but it's not inventive enough for me to give you a patent. That's called a 103 rejection. Our system can just look at these massive data sets, you know, more than any human could. And it can give you a suggestion, a prediction. Hey, look, you know what? I've looked at 10,000 patents, and based on similarities between your claims and your description and these other patents, I'm seeing these other guys getting 101 rejections. You've got a good chance that you're going to get one just because of the, the terminology you use and the relationship between your words. Or I think based on looking at 10,000 patents in a similar art unit or technology area that you're going to have problems with prior art. It doesn't tell you what to do, but its computers can look at all that and they can make a suggestion. And you can accept it or not, but it probably, if it's telling you, hey, I don't think this is going to be eligible. I think you're going to get really slowed down and maybe stopped by a one-on-one rejection. Maybe you should go back and look at your claims and make some changes and run the predictor again until you get a, a better outcome. Or if it's telling you, hey, based on what I see here, this is very likely going to get classified into an art unit that only has an 11% allowance rate because the patent office is very inconsistent across this art unit. Some of them are horrible. We call them graveyards, but you get assigned to a certain art unit, your odds of getting a patent are really low. And then other art units, 
you can put, you can take the same application and put it in a different art unit, and your odds are very high. So how do I avoid that mess? Because once you're in an art unit, you're in it. You're not getting out. Well, our analytics are telling you you got a high probability of getting a bad art unit. Why don't you go back and change some of the terminology, change the claims, and run it again so that you're more likely to get a good outcome. TurboPatent recently released uh, robo-review and rapid response. How do these tools affect the patent prosecution process? So it's that whole idea that the patent office is a machine, and it's a machine that runs very efficiently on good inputs and gives good results on good inputs. And if you know you give it garbage or if you give it, give it a bad input, you're likely going to grind to a halt inside the machine or you're going to have a long fight to get something out. It might not be good. So I think, you know, the short answer is you use our tools to create a really good input, whether it's an office action response or the first application. And then you can expect, you know, on average, statistically, to get much better outcomes at a lower cost. How do you ultimately see technology affecting not only how the PTO addresses some of these issues, but how lawyers coordinate their protocols? Well, the state of the art right now, and it's changing. It certainly has changed in the last five years even. It's amazing how quick things are evolving. But I think right now what I would say is that it's going to really reduce the amount of time and effort that paralegals are involved. A lot of what paralegals do is review. It's basic clerical stuff. It's more complicated stuff, but a machine with proper algorithms and insight can do it. Paralegals typically aren't working at the intellectual level that attorneys are, where they're evaluating legal arguments and so on. The immediate disruption is going to be on paralegal services, where a machine can do things. One paralegal using machine acceleration will be able to do what four or five used to do. Um, I think the second thing is that lawyers are going to use machines more and more to guide their decision-making and to guide their practice. So they will rely on machines like they would rely on an intelligent colleague, giving them advice. They may not accept it. They may say, no, I'm going to override that. But these, these, the advice the machines will give them will certainly help them do a better job and be better for their clients' health. Eventually, you'll see fewer lawyers, honestly. The need for a growth in number of lawyers is questionable when machines are doing more and more and enabling a single lawyer to do much more. I think that's the way things are going in, our, in, in law in general. I just see, you know, and I hear from other lawyers, oh, my God, you know, these machines... <laughs> I'm not, I wonder if I'm going to have a job in 10 years. I think they will have a job. I just think that one lawyer will be much more efficient. And there will be some things, like there's stuff out there that can give you legal advice or write contracts for you, like on LegalZoom, that the lawyer's just not going to have to do a whole lot. The machine's going to answer a lot of questions and write a lot of the, write a lot of the documents for them. They'll still review it. They'll still probably tweak it. But, you know, we're headed that way as an industry, I think, where there's going to be fewer actual humans doing more and more transactions using machines to help them. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Charles Mirho, the chief legal officer and co-founder of TurboPatent, the developer of an automated patent creation and analytics system used to produce patent documents and monitor patent quality throughout the prosecution process. Charles, thanks very much. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.